living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Learning to live by faith. And as we do, we have kind of tracked along with the prophet Habakkuk. And uh, I will do just a brief review because if you, don't get the, if you don't get the whole flow of the book, you're going to miss some things. And it, it begins by Habakkuk, this prophet of old, actually having a lament, uh, expressing his sorrow, expressing his burden over the wickedness of his own people, the corruption of his own country. And you remember now, it's slightly different than even in our perception, although we, we should mourn over corruption and violence and, and evil in our world. But these were, this was a nation that was different than all the other nations of the world, a people group different than all the other nations of the world because they had a special covenant relationship with God, confirmed with Abraham, sealed with Moses, and on it goes. So with that in mind, they, he didn't expect it to be this way. And he cried, kind of cries out to God, what, what are you going to do? And God answers what he's going to do is, in the middle, and it's sort of like the beginning, still the beginning of chapter 1, he's going to raise up the Babylonian Empire, and they're going to come in and they're going to invade Judah and destroy everything. Well, that caused Habakkuk a problem. Now, I think he probably didn't have as much problem with God bringing judgment because he was a man who understood that we we're all deserving of judgment. And uh, he understood that. But the thing that bothered him the most was how could you use someone more wicked than we are to do that? How can you punish wicked people by using people that are even more wicked? It just doesn't make any sense. And then implied in what we looked at last time was the fact of we're like minnows in the stream. We're just going to get caught and eaten and destroyed. And the big fish, or if the big fish don't get us, the fishermen will. We're in a bad way. And, and what are you going to do about Babylon? How can you treat us this way? And I get that. I accept that. But, but what about them? It was sort of like that question came at, them, came at him, like, what was that all about? And I was thinking about moments in life. Here a moment in life, something just kind of hits you, and you're like, what was that all about? And, and the picture that goes back in my mind, when I was junior high school, I played football until I realized I was not going to have a great career in football, and I did something else. But I was a tackle. I remember we had, a, we had to sort of, you know, this is really primitive in those days probably, but we had a trick play where we'd change the snap count to try to get the other team to jump off sides. And I remember, you know, of course, you know, they, you know what the snap count is and you don't move when, it's, when it sounds like you should move. And I remember I just didn't flinch, and this guy that was lined up across me, he just come and got me. I mean, I was dead on my feet, just bam! And I remember just rolling back because I hadn't moved forward, hadn't had any momentum, wasn't ready for it. I remember like, what happened? Well, we got five yards and we kept the ball moving. So it was, it's all good, you know. That's, that, that, the play worked, even at my expense. Sometimes we're just standing there waiting for something to happen, waiting for the snap count, and boom, what happened? And that's kind of where Habakkuk is today. And today we just want to talk about living by faith. 
And uh, we just want to come to this passage of Scripture. And we'll pick it up in verse number 2. We go to the end of the chapter. And we want to understand this. And let's just see what what God says. Now God answers him. He, he began, I should say, he ended his conversation, Habakkuk's conversation. Let me just read chapter 2, verse 1, then we'll get to verse 2. This is the conclusion of Habakkuk's statement to God. I will stand watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. He expected to be corrected. You know, I, I'm not probably thinking correctly. I'm not thinking wisely, but I'm waiting to see what happens. Verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said... Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Your job, Habakkuk, is to write this down. Make sure you get this down in writing. Put it on tablets and just get this down because everyone who reads is going to react. That's That's the reason he uses the word run in that verse. And then he says this. Remember now, when he asked about Judea, and he asked about his own people, he said in verse 5 of chapter 1, For I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe even though it were told you. You're going to see the work that God is going to do through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire on your people. But this is going to wait. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. You're going to have to wait a while. This is delayed. But God is already starting this theme that runs through this book. Live by faith. Live by faith. Trust in me. Count on me. And he really sums it up. And by the way, the whole book can kind of be summed up in verse 4. If you want, to, want just one summary statement, here it is. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. That's the people he's about ready to talk about, the Babylonians. He's proud. He's not right. He's not right before God. He's not upright in him. You're going to understand this, but here's the contrast. He's all proud, looking like everything's going his way. You're all downtrodden, think everything's not going your way. But here's what he says, end of verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith. Now, as we've already said in the beginning of the introduction of our study, that that phrase, the just shall live by his faith, is repeated in three New Testament books. It's in Romans, it's in Galatians, it's in Hebrews. Someone has said it takes three books of the Old Test of the New Testament to explain one sentence from the Old Testament, and each one of those look at a different thing. Romans is all about the just, the righteous shall live by faith. How are we made righteous? We're made righteous through Christ. The just shall live by faith. That's Galatians. This faith needs to work out in life. It needs to make a difference in life. And then in Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. What does genuine faith look like? So you can study that and, and take that on through if you like. Here he says, "This is us. We should live by faith." We should live by faith. Every one of us would say, that's a good thing. I'm all for living by faith. I need to live by faith. I want to be a person of faith. We honor people. We say, he's a man of faith. She's a woman of faith. But how can we reorder our thinking? How can we correct our perspective? How can we get ourselves in alignment to actually do as we are told? I'm glad you asked that question because God's about to supply the answer. And he supplies it in a rather unusual way. You just have to listen to what he's saying about Babylon. We can get that. But also the why he is saying it. The strategy, the approach, what he's trying to do for us. And basically Habakkuk has been saying in these last few verses leading up to this, the end of chapter 1, Lord, don't you see what they're like? Don't you get what they're doing? Don't you see? Have you you ever been in a place where you thought God missed something? 
and it's your job to inform them. Lord, did you not hear what she just said? Did you, not hear, did you not hear what they did? Did you not see what's going on over there? I can see it, and I'm reacting, and I don't see much uh, reaction on your part. And sometimes we need to sort of come to the Lord and say, we feel like we need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you, you kind of missed something over here. I just better be a little tattletale on what's going on over there and fill you in on the details. First of all, God welcomes that. He doesn't, he doesn't complain about that. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't ridicule Habakkuk for his heart. He understands. He knows our frame. He, he, he can take it. But he also doesn't want us to stay there. <laughs> we can express it. We can pour out our heart. We can deal with our emotions uh, and have our emotions secured in him. But he doesn't want us to stay there. So basically he's saying this. First of all, you have to understand that God sees. That God sees. And first of all, he sees what you see. So he's about ready to say that. Now, verse 4. Excuse me, verse 5. Indeed, now he's speaking about Babylon. By the way, there's three encouragements in this text. The first one we just saw in verse 4. And there's also five woes. A woe is a pronouncement of judgment, all right? So he's talking some encouragement to, to Habakkuk and his people three times. And he's talking about destruction and warning and judgment to Babylon five times. And he begins by talking about Babylon in, this, in verse 5. Indeed, be, because he transgresses by wine, he's a proud man that he's not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. He is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and he heaps up for himself all peoples. And again, at this time in history, Babylon just rolled over everybody. Everybody that tried to defend themselves were soundly defeated. It was a, basically a, a large empire that covered a, a great portion of the known world at that time. Verse 6, Will not all the, these take up proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, said, yeah, he's on the march, vicious, violent, uncontrollable. And God says, I'm going to ridicule him. He's going to be taunted. He's going to be brought low. Remember, he's talking about him being proud back in verse 4. We need to live by faith. So he says, this is what's going to happen. Woe to him, middle of verse 6, woe to him who increases what is not his. How long and to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who, awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. The first woe is a woe uh, against greed. You're, you're, you're plundering their possessions. You're putting them in debt. They owe you taxes. They're going to oppress you. And basically he's saying, I see that. Habakkuk, I, I'm not missing what you see. You see that. I, I see that too. And it reminds us that God sees what you see. We really don't need to inform him. If we need to express our heart, have at it. God's big enough and he's willing enough to take it. But just if you want to be a person of faith, you need to understand that whatever you're seeing, whatever you're reacting to, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're stressed about, whatever you complain about, whatever you don't like, whatever you do like, God's already seen it. It's not a mystery to him. I mean, you ever think about this whenever we confess our sins to him? Lord, I, I know I wasn't completely honest in that last situation. I want to confess it. God's not shocked. He knew about it long before you ever got around to fessing up to it, right? When something happens that's just like, what was that all about? He already knew all about it. But notice what he says. And God has some poetic justice 
And I wish I had time to get into all the history. I don't. I've been looking forward to sharing this. I told my, my life group that I'm teaching on Wednesday night. I said, I, I kind of want to do Habakkuk 2 right now on Wednesday. But I'm going to refrain myself till Sunday because I've been looking forward to it. But basically he's saying, you've got all these people oppressed economically. And finally they're going to learn, we don't have to take this anymore. And they're going to rise up against you. Which is exactly what happened when the, uh, when the Medo-Persian Empire comes and invades Babylon. By the way, that story is recounted in Daniel chapter 5. The story about the handwriting on the wall, remember that? That's, that's the events that take place. But basically the, the Medo-Persians said, we're tired of paying taxes. We're tired of being plundered. We're tired of being, you know, paying your bills so you can live in lavish luxury. And they rebelled against him. Now, a second woe, verse 9. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Now, to Babylon he's saying this, okay? The woe here is a woe against their covetousness. They're, they're trying to get, or maybe it's a woe against their desire for power and influence. Maybe you could say it that way. We want to live, he says, I want to I set his nest on high, verse 9. Be delivered from the power of disaster. We're going to be so strong, we're going to be so secure that no one could defeat us. There's a Greek historian that wrote a long time after the time of Babylon. His name is Herodotus. And whenever you read his history, he may have got it right, he may not have. It's not like Bible history, okay? But he describes that the walls around Babylon, that multiple chariots could run side by side on the top of the wall all the way around the city. He describes they are massively thick, massively high. They have big guard towers. The city of Babylon, the capital of the Babylonian Empire, was, was strong. And they viewed their walls were going to protect them. And then there was that night when God shows up. And you know what he wrote on to describe their coming destruction? He wrote on the wall. You've been weighed in the balance. God's weighed you out. And you've come up short. And that very night, of course, remember they had this vision. They bring in Daniel, the old prophet. And Daniel, what was it all about? And he says, this is what's going to happen. Oh, good, we'll make you the third ruler in the kingdom on the last night of his existence. That was not much of a payoff for Daniel. But you know that story. So they thought that they were secure. God brought them low. But notice what he says. This is, this is key. It says in verse 11, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. When there's nobody here to give a witness about their evil... God says, I can hear the sound reflecting off the beams and the walls. Because here's the reality. God not only sees what you see, but God sees what you and I do not see. He sees what you don't see. And he's saying, you want to live by faith? I see what you see. I get it. And by the way, I see what you do not see. And I really do get it. Your job, Habakkuk, is to take my message to the people I send you to. You be the prophet, I'll be God, okay? Let's have a little division of labor. And basically he's saying to all of us, you want to live by faith? We need to remember this. God sees what you see. God sees infinitely more than what you see. He can see things when there's, and hear things even when there's no one there to hear because he's there. So you can trust in him being in charge, being in control, being present, being there. Verse 12, another woe. Woe to him who builds a town by blood, with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. 
They're building their walls by bloodshed. They're making their kingdom big and broad and powerful. I see that. I see more than you see. Then he gives the second encouragement. The first encouragement is verse 4. The just shall live by his faith. Second encouragement, my glory will fill the earth. What Babylon was all about was filling their glory, filling the world with their glory. Look at their magnificent walls, their magnificent structures. Herodotus also tells us about the, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon, which uh, were this, this supposed mountain that was built there and had all this lush vegetation on it and so forth. They were strong. They were powerful. There were multiple temples to their gods strewn around in magnificence in Babylon. Every place they conquered, they set up things to show their magnificence. And God says, oh, and by the way, I see what you see. I see what you do not see. And what I see is the day when, when, when I come and set up my kingdom that my glory will literally fill all this earth. Friends, it's going to happen. It is delayed. It is in the future. We don't know exactly when. But he says, I see what you see. I see what you do not see. And what, I do not, what you do not see is the fact that I win. All these Gentile, Gentile empires are going to fall. And when Christ comes, when the Messiah comes back to this earth, the second time in, in strength and victory and power, that his kingdom, his glory will fill all the earth. Be encouraged by that. God sees what you see and what you don't see. Verse 15, another way. Woe to who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to, the, to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. And it, here's the picture of a man trying to get a lady inebriated so he can take advantage of her. This is a woe against the abuse. You're filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink but you, and be exposed as uncircumcised. He says, you think you're abusing people? You're going to feel abused when the judgment falls. Because of men's violence, middle verse, uh, excuse me, verse 17. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of the beast which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and all who dwell in it. One last woe, if you want to say it that way. Verse 18. This is a woe of those who reject, woe upon those who reject God. Remember, they worshiped idols. That was mean statuary, artwork, okay? Woe to him, verse 19, who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall, it shall teach. <laughs> Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet there is no breath at all. In it, there's no, that there is no breath at all. In it, there's no breath at all. By the way, you can run this experiment this afternoon if you want. Find whatever rock or piece of stone you want to, talk to it, and see if it talks back. You think of the idiocy of that, but then you think of what we worship. We worship stuff, we worship pride, we worship power, we worship influence, we worship celebrity, we worship whatever. Idolatry was not tramped out long years ago. It's still in full bloom today. And God wants us to do what we're doing right now. We come together to listen to his word, to honor his presence, to love him and to serve him. So, God sees what you see. God sees what you don't see. Therefore, we live by faith. Faith that he's aware and he knows. But there's one more part to it. It's not that he knows and he's there. But look at verse 20, the last verse of this chapter. This is the third encouragement. We've had five woes, two encouragements. First encouragement, just to live by his faith. Second encouragement, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Victory comes at the end. And here, listen to this. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is where he is. We need to treat him accordingly.
Where is God? Well, he's everywhere, got that. But in this sense, in this understanding, he's in his holy temple. He is in the highest place. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's in a great palace. Other people have risen to great power. But you know what? They don't last forever. Their kingdoms do not last forever. Their accomplishments, accomplishments are soon forgotten. But he says God is in his holy temple. He is ruling. He is in control. Treat him accordingly, his glory. He is God. What you need to do to live by faith? Remember this. God sees what you see. God sees what you don't see. And he's at work. And it is all going to be okay. Secondly, God is where God is. <laughs> and he's there ruling. Secondly, we need to worship him exclusively because of it. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That goes back sort of as a reaction to the supposed speaking of verse 19. By the way, speaking flows through this passage. Remember, God can hear what bounces off the beams and the stones that you don't hear. The stones and the wood that they've carved into idols, they don't hear. But when I speak, everybody's going to hear and have nothing to say in return. Because he's God. He is where he is. Can I answer all of my questions about the, what was that all about in life? Where did that come from? And I certainly can't answer yours, and that's just the way it is. But here's what you can know. Here's where faith comes from. It, because faith only kicks in when we're in a place where we can't see, where we can't know, when we're left to just take God at his word. Those injustices, those problems, those failings, those things that frustrate us, God sees what you see. He also sees what we do not see. And we can live by faith knowing this, that God is in his holy temple, ruling, reigning, in charge, never asleep at the wheel, never dozed off at the switches. He is God. He is there. His glory is there. He's the supreme creature of all things. He made us. We don't worship the, the things that he made or that we can make with the stuff that he's given us, but we worship the one who made, makes it. Make sure we don't worship the creature, but we worship the creator. And let all the earth keep silence before him. We just say, Lord... I'll be what you called me to be. And we need to do it faithfully and energetically and with great heart involvement. And Lord, I don't have to let you be what you need to be because you will be what you need to be regardless if I respond to it properly or not. But it helps us to say it this way. Lord, I'm, from my point of view, I let you be you. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. For a believer... If that doesn't leave you encouragement, leave you with some encouragement today, then go back and keep reading this chapter until it does. Let it sink in. Let it, let it burst forth as, as I understand. He sees. He's okay. It's all right. He's in his holy temple, glory. Keep silence before him. Let him be God. If you're here this morning, maybe what you've heard ringing in your ears are words of woe. Words that say, I'm in trouble. Because I'm not prepared to face a God as a God of compassion judge, and, and, and my judgment being placed on Christ. But I'm guilty before him. Long ago, nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth. And after that, all that amazing story of, of, of his being here, it culminated with him being nailed to a cross and dying. He was not caught up in the political intrigue of the day, although it looked that way. That's what man would have seen. What God saw was the price for our redemption was being paid for all eternity. 
a price is paid. All it waits is for you to take this gift that's been waiting for you for 2,000 years. To say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me. And it's dying for me. I know that can forgive my sins. And I accept that by faith. You might say, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I can't see it. I can't picture that. Living by faith is stepping in a, into a realm where you can't see it, can't prove it, can't duplicate it. Just believe. If we can help you take that step of faith, we stand ready to help you. We'll be around after service. Love to have a conversation with you. Put your faith in him. Believer, the Lord is in his holy temple. When it comes to our fussing, our fuming, our complaining, our questions, we can have them, we can express them, but we need to come to that place where we just say, along with the, the rest of creation, Lord, I want to be one who says, let the earth keep silence before him. Quiet, reverential trust. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.